We turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, where I will be reading the resurrection story uh, as found there. This is the news, the good news, that has changed the world. Hear the word of the Lord. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and bent or reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciple the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Fleming Rutledge, a pastor and preacher, once told a story of an encounter she had with a terminally ill parishioner. As it happened that day, the parishioner had more on her mind than death. She had recently been robbed, and many of her valuable antiques were taken. It's okay, she said to her pastor. Our insurance will cover most of what we lost. Then she added, everything can be fixed, everything except death. Everything can be fixed, except death. So true. Broken arms can be mended, leaky roofs repaired, old engines restored, knees and hips installed. The loss of valuable antiques hurt, but insurance will cover it. But there's no insurance policy to reverse death. And this year, at this hard moment in our, congregational's, our congregation's life, we 
We feel death sting, and it hurts. You can tell from our text that Mary Magdalene felt it too as she made her way to Jesus' tomb that first Easter morning. She had witnessed everything, the, the nails being pounded into Jesus' hands, the, the spear piercing his side. She was there when Jesus' lifeless body was taken down from the cross. For quite a while, Mary had been traveling with Jesus and the other disciples. We don't often hear of the women disciples as the men get the bulk of the attention, but Jesus did have women followers too. Mary was among them, perhaps even a leader among the women. Before meeting Jesus, she was laid low by demon possession, but then she had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus set her free. And then, like James and John left their fishing boat, so Mary left everything behind to follow after Jesus. And now, in a way, she's the only disciple left. Mary is not the hero of the Easter story, but John does want us to see her abiding faith. Even in death, she wants to be where Jesus is. And so once the Sabbath is over, she makes an early morning pilgrimage to Jesus' tomb. All this happens, John says, while it was still dark. Perhaps John is just setting the scene here, and we shouldn't make much of this pre-dawn detail. But then again, darkness and light, these are big themes in John's gospel. Judas betrayed Jesus at night, and Jesus and, and, and the kangaroo court that Jesus went through and the bogus conviction that was placed upon him, that was under the cover of darkness too. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Of course, there's nothing inherently evil of the dark or night, but as a metaphor, it communicates. When Jesus was put to death, the sun refused to shine, and darkness covered the land. Death is darkness, but God says, let there be light. But Mary is going to need a little help seeing it. In fact, when she first sees the stone rolled away, her first thought is not resurrection, but grave robbery. And so she runs to tell Peter and the beloved disciple, who is perhaps most, most likely John, and she says to them, they have taken the Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. Disturbed, the other disciples get up, and they run to the tomb too. And when they get there, they go in for a closer look. In fact, Peter, in perhaps typical Peter fashion, doesn't just peer into the tomb, but he crawls into the tomb. And what he sees are the strips of linen that were used to cover Jesus' body and the cloth, cloth that was placed around his head. It has been folded up neatly, as if done with care. In other words, if this were a case of body snatching, the robbers took pains to unwrap Jesus, and they also left things neat and tidy, an unlikely scenario. We're not told how Peter responded to this, in close, this close encounter with Jesus' empty tomb, but we are told that the other disciple believed what he believed, we're not sure, and whatever he believed, it couldn't have been strong, uh, too strong of a belief because instead of sticking around to see what happened next, he turns around and goes back home. 
but not Mary. Once again, Mary stays. She cannot make peace being parted from her Lord. And so she goes once again to the tomb, and this time she weeps. Of Mary's weeping, commentator Frederick Dale Bruner writes this, Her crying is not reported culpably as if it were a shame. When people die, when people dear to us die, we cry, and we cry a lot. Mary's emotion represents the emotion of the whole world, in a sense, in the presence of the overwhelming cruelty of death. Everything can be fixed except death. In her grief and perhaps curiosity, Mary peers again into the tomb. But this time she sees something new. She sees two angels, one sitting at Jesus' feet and the, well, where Jesus' feet used to be and the other sitting where Jesus' head used to be. And they ask her, Woman, why are you crying? And Mary replies, They have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this she turned, and then she saw Jesus, though she did not as yet recognize that it was him. Why are you crying? This man asked, echoing the angels. Who are you looking for? Thinking that this man must be the caretaker or the gardener, Mary again states her deep longing to be where Jesus is. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And then Jesus says her name, Mary. And Mary turned, and she looked again, and this time she saw Jesus. Once again, I'll let Frederick Dale Bruner help us understand the full weight and significance of this moment. In the one or two seconds this turn took, I imagine the world shifting ever so slightly on its axis, And about this turns one second midpoint trajectory, history too almost moved imperceptibly from B.C. to A.D. A second before this turn, there is a woman in the deepest human despair in the agonizing presence of unconquerable death. A second after the beginning of this turn, there is a woman in the deepest possible human elation in the presence of the uh, death-conquering central figure of history. I love that description. It's almost as if the earth shifted on its axis, that time moved in in a way you you couldn't perceive it, but from A.D., or from B.C. to A.D. Easter is the day the world changed. The one enduring truth about life in this world is that none of us get out of here alive, but now one has gotten out. And death itself which is so ultimate, has been put in its place. This is a new day. This is a new era. Ever since Adam and Eve's fall in the garden, humanity has been subject to what I like to call the age of decay. Our lives in this era are a little like cell phones disconnected from their ports. We live, we play games, we talk, we navigate around, but then we start to slow down and the low battery sign comes on. And then it's time for an update, but we can't handle the update anymore. And then slowly life goes away. 
And that's the way things go if things go well. But things don't always go well. But with the resurrection, it's as if a new power has been released into the world, a new hope. The age of decay, it still has influence and sway, but no longer does it have ultimate power or say. The Bible talks about the resurrected Jesus as being the first fruits of what is to come. He's the snowdrop flower that heralds the coming of spring. He's the first grape that turns purple on the vine. His resurrected presence means that there is more where that came from. Jesus is the first to break through the age of decay, but he will not be the last. This is the turning point in history. And it's so fitting, if you think about it, that faithful Mary Magdalene is there to be the first witness of this monumental change. Remember how it was way back in the garden with Adam and Eve. In the beginning, it was Eve who was first tempted and first took what was not hers to take, and Adam followed right behind her. And that disobedience, says the Bible, ushered in this great divorce between God and man, which kick-started this age of decay. And now here in another garden, there is a man and a woman, except this time, instead of passing along what is forbidden, the woman is given the high calling of being the first to announce the good news of Christ's resurrection. This is the Garden of Eden in reverse. And it just keeps getting better. Look at the gracious message that Jesus gives to Mary to share to the disciples. She said, he says, don't hold on to me. I have yet to return to the Father. But go instead to tell my brothers, tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Notice the familial language. Notice the possessive pronouns here. My brothers. My Father, your Father, my God, and your God. Bear in mind that these so-called brothers have not acted in a very brotherly fashion over the last couple days. They all forsook Jesus in the moment of his need, and now, like a bunch of atoms, they are ashamed of their defection and are hiding out in the bushes all around Jerusalem. But now into their shame, into their feelings of guilt, Jesus speaks this powerful word of belonging. Go tell my brothers. Go tell them that I'm going back to my father and their father, my God, your God. Not only has Jesus busted through the age of decay, but he has also bridged the divide created by human sin. It is the perfect rescue in every sense of the word exactly what is needed. Humanity has a death and decay problem, and Jesus was raised from the dead, the first fruits of a world without death or mourning or crying or pain. And humanity has an alienation problem, a distance problem. Our sins have separated us from the source of life, God himself. But now through Christ saving death and resurrection, a bridge has been built in this relationship has been restored. Sin and death meet forgiveness and, rec and rec uh, resurrection. And what this is telling us is that everything can be fixed. 
including separation, including death. I don't know what Fleming Rutledge told her dying parishioner that day, but I have a hunch she reminded her of Easter hope. Actually, even death can be fixed in Christ. And that makes me remember of an experience I had with an old parishioner named John McKenzie. I think I've told his story before, but it bears repeating. John was 93 or 94 when I got to know him. He came to church when he could, but eventually that became less and less possible. One day I visited him in his small nursing home room. He was in bed where he now spent most of his time. He said to me, I guess my, I guess my best days are behind, behind me. I nodded as clearly that's obvious, right? He's just, he, here he is, just almost unable to get out of bed. But then after this moment of silence, as we reflect on that, I looked at John and I said to him, you know, actually, John, that's not, that's not true. And quoting the Apostles' Creed, I said, John, we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. And at that, John smiled and I smiled and we just enjoyed that truth together. Everything can be fixed. Death has not won. Death has been swallowed up in victory. It has been put in its place. And when Jesus Christ, the first fruits, returns to finish what he started, John Mackenzie will be there. Like Christ was raised, so will he. Yesterday I went to the Brampton uh, funeral home with a few others from our church to be with Janet and to participate in the funeral there. And just a few days ago, I was in the cemetery with the Vander's eggs as we put Jonathan in the ground. We know all about the sting of death this Easter. We know about Mary's tears. We know about life in the age of decay. And today we remember that the era of division, death, decay is not final and that a new day has dawned. And this is the work of God who so loved the world, who sent his son to make us family and to give us hope for what will be when he returns. Know today, wherever you are, whatever you're feeling, that this good news is for you too. Hear the voice of the Good Shepherd speaking your name out loud like he spoke to Mary. See him reaching out to you in love as he reached out to his brothers, the disciples. This is his desire to be family with us, to give us hope 
to give us that future. And so, even through tears, this morning we can move forward in Easter hope. And with Job, who knew all about loss, we can stand in the midst of it all and profess our faith. I love these words from the book of Job. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that at the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, you know, you know the troubles we face in the age of decay. You experience them too. And the tears that Mary shed, you know those tears too, as you wept as well over the death of your friend, Lazarus. Lord, we know that in this life there will be tears and days of sorrow. And we ask, Lord, for those days to stop and for your kingdom to come in all its fullness soon. But until then, Lord, we pray for endurance to hold fast to our hope, even in the midst of loss, and to continue Uh, living this life that you have given with the time that you have allotted us. And may we do that for your glory, Lord, remembering we belong to you and also remembering the call, the high call to go and to bear witness and to share what we have received. Thank you, Lord, for this salvation that you have won. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.